Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast wherein we are alternating between the critically panned live-action movies and the critically acclaimed run by James Roberts, More Than Meets the Eye, which is what we are doing today. This is episode 8, issues 34 to 44 of that there book, volume 7 and 8 if you're a trade paperback person. You can find us on Twitter at Maltmitty, M-A-L-T-M-T-E if you prefer. My name is Matt Waters. I am joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how's it going? It's going all right. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm at a point now in this thing where, like, because I'm committed to reading every issue of the IDW Transformers universe. Sorry, um, sorry. Can I just stop you? Why are you committed to that? Because I am a uh, sick, sick person who, <laughs> right. if I can do something in a way that is extra, I will do it in a way that is extra. Yeah. Like, that is... My albatross to bear. Right. Uh, you did not commit. commit I did I'm not blaming anyone but myself for this. I am. The issue... I am also reading along with them. But when I don't feel like it, I just stop. And you're trying to keep perfect pace. And I, I think it's killing you pace. slightly. <laughs> Mostly because, like, I mean, I, I told text you this, and I was like, the issue now is that previously things were kind of like of a consistent quality. And now they're not. And mm. they haven't been for like the last three volumes of this, where I like the scale or the difference between like the bits that I'm enjoying and the bits that I'm not basically means that like every five issues I'm like, oh, okay, I need to take like three days yeah. to like power through this. It really doesn't help that the other book has committed to an artist who I think is like completely antithetical to like how these books should look. Mm. And Instead of reading the the other book, I was reading people's thoughts, and like none of these people are like comics critics and stuff like that. But like they, they some people are making like the salient point that like the issue isn't that the art is bad. The issue is that the coloring is like really sucks the pace out and kind of like it makes everything feel like it should be a cover and it isn't. And it's one of those things where like a really underrated skill of comics artist is being able to make. Like, there are people who are really good at pinups and covers and kind of like static images but if you cannot make that into a 22 page book that's going to have like flow and an actual like sequential narrative to it then you might not be a bad artist but you're a bad comic book artist right. realistically and it is something that I think someone like Alex Milne has in spades where he's actually able to take what are like quite dense heavy uh, concepts and able to fit them into an issue of a comic book series. I don't think Milne is like the best artist that these books that, that we're reading. I think there are better artists in this IW verse. Nick Roche, who's come up a few times, I think is someone who is actually like really, really fantastic at, at, at this kind of stuff. Someone who I, I think he did the flashback stuff in the annual Guido Guido, Guido, Guido. Guido. Yeah, yeah Guido, he also Guido. drew all Hell Megatron. So he did, but like the all Hell Megatron art isn't bad. Like it's mm. kind of like the best thing of that book. And he did sure. a drift mini series. And like I opened that up and I was like, this is reading so much better than other stuff. And a reason for that is that the artwork is actually quite good, even if like I'm not enjoying the characterization of some of the stuff that's going on. The art is propulsive enough to make this readable, and it's like one of those things where like bad writing in a comic book you can normally kind of like power through it but bad art can make it 
nigh unreadable because yeah. that is the thing that your eyes are looking at most of the time. Yeah, those uh, those issues of the other book where you're you're hanging out with Shockwave and Optimus Prime are, are no bueno. But how would you feel to cover what is believed to be the worst handful of issues in this run as well? I, I mean, I've read them. I think the reason they feel worse is because you're coming off a string of kind of... Like, we haven't not had a five-issue arc now mm. since issue 22. Like, that is the last time where five entire issues weren't being pulled out and done as, like, an entire arc. And I think it's it's to the detriment of the book that... Well, I, I've, 22 is kind of a capper on Remain in Light because you get that reveal that it's them trying to get the circle of light to join them after they rescued them. So I would call that yeah. part of the arc. I mean, for me, like, so what, what I'm referring to here is volume eight in particular. I think there is a lot of vitriol towards it from James Roberts detractors who were like, oh, this book is actually overrated and bad. And or like some people, were like, oh, it was good. And then it got really bad and it needed to end. I think volume seven, most people would probably agree. Pretty good. I like it a lot. Volume eight is just kind of, it is just a collection of one-offs and it feels very listless. And I think if you just took some of these ideas and just peppered them in, it's a pacing thing. We spent so long not getting to know the crew at the beginning. Like we did a big detour with <laughs> onto Delphi and then the DJD and, and the scavengers and stuff. And then we started to get these good clean arcs. So we had Shadow Play and we had the stuff with Overlord and we had Remain in Light and then we had, you know, Megatron on trial and stuff like that. And the vanishing ship. Now we're gonna have another little adventure which we'll start talking about in a minute, but then you just get hit with three isolated issues and a two parter or four and a two parter, yeah, something it's, like it's, that. It's, what, it, there's a there's a djd issue there's, there's two, a two-parter really? <laughs> yeah it, 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 there's just like a couple of kind of single issues that do yeah. kind of like slow the pace down that little bit but the thing is i don't know where you fit those stories in before now just... because the trial of megatron leading mm. into the disappearing ship whilst they are two sequential arcs maybe you can chuck the kind of like the tarn catch-up issue in between 30 and 31 but i don't know I guess we had this a bit as well coming out the back of Shadow Play before we got to the Overlord stuff. There were some standalone issues that were like really fun. The countdown that's going up and down, like like moving back and forward from the explosion and them on, sh you know, them going and getting drinks. Like these issues are fine, but like when you get a, a number of them in a row like that, it gets kind of jarring. So I don't know. I mean, if you Do laid you... out every issue, I could probably like move stuff around and try and find a place for them. But I would probably do like big run, single issue break, big run, single issue break but it may yeah. not be do that. Do you think thing. Roberts do you think Roberts is good at single issues? I do, yeah. I think there are no yeah. I when I think about this run like you know there are so many individual moments but like I think of that bomb issue and I think of like Chrome Dome sitting on top I know that's a two-parter but like you know that's specifically that first part of that one and um, I mean that, I think that's that's my kind of rebuttal is that quite often the things you think of as single issues end up actually being kind of two issues uh, there's a verbosity to the way that he writes that it sometimes takes what feels like should be single issues and stretches them out to two issues and that potentially comes at the cost of the pacing as you say where like if you could condense something like the the, the personality vampires into a single issue mm. you've got more room elsewhere to to kind of like start doing stuff i uh, think because it, it's, it's a very large cast and a lot of those single issues come with a very big gimmick that has to be sort mm. of set up and it needs a lot of pages to set it up 
it's just impossible to to get to them all and like you know in a world where the cast is a little bit smaller maybe he could pull it off a bit easier but yeah and the thing is i do i do think as well that the single issues that we've had that really really work are the ones that set up a future plot point in like a really significant way like the whole cast trying to figure out why people are disappearing in 31 is like Mm. a really effective use of a single issue and even the stuff earlier on with like the the bomb issue and stuff like that that is being used to set up stuff that's going on with with other characters within that like it's maybe i think that one stands above I i i agree with the other ones but like that one truly is kind of isolated there's minor side plots are advanced but it doesn't like do anything for the overall book and i think it is still really strong but anyway we are gonna get a little arc here and i think it is another good one so i think the run of of really strong arcs continues it's called elegant chaos but there is a little bit of a i'd call it a prelude personally uh issue 34 is called births deaths and interventions so off the back of the chaos with the ship disappearing with all the shuttles and stuff a small group of the crew are looking for survivors on a nearby planet and they unwittingly stumble on two members of the DJD who violently murder Trailcutter. Another one of those like members of the crew who like we have never really fully <laughs> gotten into because like I didn't want to commit to him being like oh he's part of the Big Fifteen because I was like I know he dies and I know he like fucks off for ten issues at a time. <laughs> yeah, like his his biggest moment is in in the build up to Dark Cybertron. There is a Trailcutter spotlight issue. Mm. Some early moments early on where like he is the one who creates the force fields that help them with the with the energy vampire and whatnot like he's or the spark eater sorry he's he's the one who's kind of helping there to kind of defend people and then he he goes away and he goes away in like a way more significant way than a than a red alert does i I would liken him to like if you're thinking of like star trek i would i would liken him to like a member of security who shows up every like four or five episodes and you're like oh yeah i remember that guy but like that's kind of it he doesn't really get stories i mean he ironically does get his own story and i hear it's quite good i've never read it so he's gonna die here and um something we didn't get into last time but luckily it get, comes up again this time this planet is called ofsted 17 it is a lecture world a former lecture world is very clearly a uh, a little pop at what has happened to the state of british education um they're talking you know last time they were talking about like tuition fees and, and like con- conversions and that, you know what i took to be like polytechnics becoming full universities and you know all that kind of stuff it's not subtle but the the meat of this little thing is they get into a big debate about whether they should help potential decepticons because the body they find has no badge on it and they don't recognize it as a member of the djd because they've not actually met them in person they know that they are a thing but this version the version that weren't wiped out by them i've never met them so they come across a badgeless body and you know you have first aid our good doctor here who is like oh no you have to help decepticon or not you have to patch them up that's just the rules of war and a couple of the other crew uh mainframe and blue streak blue streak is going to take a weirdly large role here <laughs> but they're like nah sorry as soon as they realize it probably is a decepticon or, or like they have an inkling it is they're like nah we're out so they were going to make a small donation each it now has to be a much larger donation from first aid and trail cutter but then first aid is made to look a hypocrite himself because when he does realize he's in the djd he's like nah fuck that i was on delphi i know what they did i'm out so that leaves trail cutter alone he puts up a panic bubble to protect himself from one member not realizing he's trapped himself in there with the other one 
and we get another grisly murder. I think it's it's some good stuff that we've we've talked about before. Like you know, like are they truly over the war? What does post-war society look like? Can they ever break bread with Decepticons? Some of them clearly never. And you know, I'm not saying they were right to not help them because this is the DJD, but it could have not been. The part of the issue that I feel it has a little bit less weight because whilst the moral issue is interesting, the cast that they've stuck down there is very much like First Aid is the only one that we spent any significant amount time with really mm-hmm. trial cutter showed up a few times blue streak is someone that they are going to try and make happen there's like an ancillary set of the crew who we see occasionally who are going to take a bigger role later as a unit if you've read it it's very clear but like yeah and then mainframe who's like always been around i think he technically steers the ship like he's on a lot of the like bridge shots but he like has it, never spoken it, i don't think it, that's the thing it's the kind of character where like they know what his role is in this and if you're a transformer sicko like <laughs> you will be able to like like you go to the tf wiki and every issue has like every single transformers appearance in order of what they appeared by on panel and stuff like yeah, that and yeah. very rarely is someone like not named even if they didn't say anything like there are some issues where like there are crowd scenes with fucking hundreds of of transformers and like they have named like every single fucking one of them the previous issue this one like there's only two that don't have names and it's guy on bar and yellow guy and <laughs> i'm sure that someone will go through and go like, oh actually that's fucking this character that's the 2006 um, weird toy alternate of this character who's got the wrong name <laughs> exactly exactly like people who can recognize these characters by sight and i'm like yeah. i'm there with like the the kind of the 25 main characters on this like i could recognize them fucking anywhere at this point hey, but like I, you show i remember starting these books and being like sorry who the fuck is sunstreaker and which one is sideswipe and like now that feels trivial but like yeah the, these people are on a, another level um, like the ones who could like you could show them the individual constructor cons and they can go like oh yeah i can name them all <laughs> i know the names and i know you know they're all green and purple i couldn't pick out which one's which though so this djd uh member like you know brutally murders trail cutter like rips his brain out smushes his head against the side like yeah it's all fucked up they tell him hey war's over buddy and he's like i don't believe you helpfully <laughs> newly sober trail cutter newly made chief of security trail cutter who turned his life around and then is murdered I had been reading megatron's book towards peace and because it's transformers books are patchable <laughs> and since he called an end to the war that has been patched into it so they're like oh hey look and they throw him the copy and he's like Meh. and he takes it with him and they fuck off that does throughout the issue while they've been arguing every now and then we would get a few pages of like towards peace come to life megatron's autobiography it's like a autobiography slash like political treatise like slash collection of essays and this is more interesting than like a bunch of crew we don't know about so it, it's during his time in one of i think it's like just after shadow play they the, the senate shipped him off to another mining facility because they were worried he would become a political martyr if, if yeah like in between shadow play but before a book we're not covering called megatron origin i think uh, is yeah <laughs> <laughs> basically the senate tried to have him silenced for his political writings by performing shadow play on him. They send Freud, which is spelled F-R-O-I-D, not as in Sigmund. This is Rung's chief rival. You think nothing of it? You're like, oh, it's just a silly little, like, it's a slightly quirkier robot design, and like, oh, it's a fun name, because like, Rung is named for Carl Jung, Freud is Freud, and yeah, oh, how silly. He will end up having a weird 
big role and then fuck off forever. <laughs> but he he rocks up, pretends he's like chief of uh, psychopathology, doesn't bother even examining Megatron, just orders shadow play. But luckily, Rung arrives and is like, hey, as of like very recently, thanks to Senator Shockwave, you need two signatures to do personality alteration. So they have to call it off. But like Megatron was like halfway through it or like they had just started doing it. Like, his head is off, and someone is touching his brain, and it's really fucked up to look at. And it's the same guy that, like, Chrome Dome and Prowl shook down in the Institute when they found that. But, like, it's play. also the guy who teaches Chrome... Like, because isn't this the one... Like, it's the one that teaches Chrome Dome how to do shadow play. Yep. Eventually. And, and then... he is also the one that was starting to teach Overlord, and then Megatron murdered him. So, like, you have the one-two punch there of, like... Megatron holds a grudge. <laughs> this guy tried to shadow play me. I murder you. And two, hey, I don't want Overlord learning how to do that. So let's nip that in the bud. Megatron, like, it's come up a few times. Every time there is a suggestion of injection, of shadow play, of, of anything with his brain, he freaks the fuck out. And it's because of this experience here where he was strapped to a table and someone started trying to change his brain chemistry because it he's is, been writing dangerous essays like it is interesting that the book kind of goes with like he doesn't actually get anywhere with it like he doesn't the book doesn't try and explain away megatron's kind of like lust for violence after this point or his as being because someone shadow played him a little bit like he didn't get fully shadow played he like nothing happened is kind of he, the, the implication you get after this yeah he just has an enormous ego and like you know he you, we saw it in the trial he was baited into like pleading not guilty because Starscream like talks shit about him and he wants Rung to write a new book about him and like anything that endangers his life he's like no 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 I must live because I must achieve things so I think it's coming from there where like they almost took away what I am kind of thing it's really fucked up it's really well done we also in this this little section meet Terminus who was his like I guess, roommate, who his bosses had stopped giving rations to, so Megatron gives him transfusions, and he helps him distribute his writings and encourages him and proofreads, and Towards Peace was originally dedicated to him, and then he took it out, and they have a lot of, like, quibbles that are, like, it's very cute. Megatron resistant to the idea of using force and violence and being a leader, and is like, oh no, the power of the collective. Like, he's a full communist at this point, and then Terminus is like, there's gonna come a day, you're gonna have to be an actual revolutionary, and you're gonna have to stand at the front of this. We are very clearly on a, a Megatron redemption arc, and have been since Megatron was brought in. Arguably have been since... James Roberts wrote Chaos Theory way back when, but then he goes back to being full-on evil after that. But, like, I know a Luckily, lot of Luckily, fan... he's only in, like, three issues of the other book <laughs> for, the, for that bit. Like, like yeah. yes, he goes full-on evil, but it really is, like, a very brief... Like, he yeah. shows up out the fucking desert and then wrecks some shit and then immediately is just like, okay, we're, we're done now. Roberts is now yeah. my daddy for the next <laughs> 30 and issues. There are people who are obviously very resistant to Autobot Megatron. Like, he's wearing the badge, but he's still being a bit of a shithead. But, like... You don't have to be I mean, I, a, a psychic to know where this is going. And, like, I'm not saying they're going to get to a point where, like, there, he is redeemed, he's a good man, but, like, they are trying to give him shades of grey. And I know that some people are resistant, but I do think this is just really powerful stuff, all of it. I think it's really interesting because some people are coming at it from the point of view of, like, this would be like 
writing like a Hitler redemption yeah, arc. Yeah, I mean, like, it, like to, to really like basically re- reduce this down, basically like look like he's writing word like writings like Wine Camp and all the rest of it, except not mm-hmm. as politically. Oh, they are politically charged, but they're definitely not calling for the extermination of like an entire race of people. But that um, is a place he gets to. He wants to exterminate all organic life. Well, yes. he just doesn't think it's as important as Cybertronian life. Yes, and obviously you you get moments about that in 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 this arc where like, obviously yeah. you've got like you, the badge on your chest means that you have to protect these people. Yeah, uh, but like I think that I understand the criticism for those people going like you're trying to soften what is the ultimate evil in this universe, and I think other people are just like no, Megatron's a bad guy. I like him when he's a bad guy. Why would you try and make him yeah. like? And I think those two people are kind of getting one has got a more legitimate criticism than the other one where like. Like, and Roberts is coming at from like war is something that gets everyone's hands dirty and yeah. if you're going to like Optimus then why aren't you listening to the guy who's probably got more of a legitimate reason like why are you right. why are you so subservient to the guy who was fighting for the establishment rather than yep. the guy that was trying to like fix a broken society when yeah. they both have the hands of millions billions of, of, yeah. of creatures across the galaxy just because one is written as a hero but and, and this is coming before the kind of like the mainstream of like all cops are bastards and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that like that general sentiment didn't exist in 2014, but it definitely didn't hit the fever pitch that yeah, it, it yeah, does yeah. in kind of the late 2010s, early 2020s. Yeah, and I do think that like you know the sympathetic villain thing is a little bit played out largely just because in uh, in execution, not philosophy. But like I personally, I'm just never as interested in a just straight up mwahaha villain. Like, and if you need Megatron to be robot Hitler that's fine that's cool there's so much of that out there and like they will whenever they do anything like this hard cut back to like oh no let's just make him evil again but that's the the weird thing is like we say that but like there isn't actually that much stuff of him as robot hitler because this is a franchise aimed at children that kind of has to soften what it means to be at war and what death means and obviously like the transformers movie is probably one of the most famous pieces of media about teaching death to to small children and stuff (laughs) like that but i feel like this is (laughs) (laughs) i feel like this is one of the first transformers mediums that is actually taking a view of what it would mean for a four million year long war and how much destruction that would wreak across the galaxy and taking that actually seriously by like doing the x-men thing of yes you can reduce xavier and magneto down to down to malcolm x and and martin luther king but you're being productive in doing it but like let's put some real world political edge into what optimus and megatron are trying to do rather than what you're doing is you're basically writing a a kind of 52 episode tv show where like they're just at a stalemate and the good guys all win eventually and i i think like arguably megatron's like starting to come around and like reflect inward on his what he did you could argue it like makes it underlines the evil and it's like a it's like a postscript on it. It's not a like that waves all that away. It's kind of that like yeah, just like he has done the evil and he will pay for it, but like here's some retrospection and, and we also get like a full page of Towards Peace in here written by Roberts. I don't know what you think of it. I mean there's a lot of like very communist versus Nazi kind of <laughs> stuff in here, like, you know, that you are encouraged to be suspicious of your neighbours. You know that that kind of thing that they're, that functionalism is making it's reducing everyone down to like what is your productive little role in society kind of thing rather than like what is this person like as a person? Yeah, I mean it, it reads like an actual political treatise, which is 
rare for these kind of things. Like I'm actually invested in the the politicking of all of this in a way that yeah. I can't think of many pieces of art that actually manage to create an actual legible political system that yeah. feels realistic and like actually you can read it as like here's the politics but there's like emotional stuff in the background of it and mm-hmm. i think that's the thing where like quite often when you when you watch something like game of thrones the politics in that is kind of written at large and is all just political move maneuvering no one actually believes in anything they just want power and that's not what this is this is this is someone trying to convince the peoples this is not people fighting over an, aut- an autocracy this is people fighting over an actual political system and and convincing people to be on their side yeah. which i i think he's created a really he's created something with legs the senate as a separate thing from the functionalist council and then, like, you know, the revolutionaries that will become the Decepticons, the sort of status quo enforcers that will become the Autobots, the neutrals, like, how everyone is torn, and it's like, no, I see their point, but, like, then when war comes about, they're like, oh, no, but I'm an Autobot. And then the other way, like, I think that's actually really interesting. And, like, it's confusing if you're a new reader. Like, it's it's all very dense, and, like, trying to pass the difference between the Senate and the Functionalist Council can be a challenge on first read. And it's like, you know, the function the functionalist council are like they wield religion. They are like we'll get into them in very soon, but it's it's very like your alt mode is natural. You turn into this for the good of society, whatever. And then the Senate are more modern, they're more political machinations and stuff, and like the Senate are technically in charge, the functionalist council at the time of Shadowplay, which we saw, had shrunk. They still existed, but they wielded less influence. But there's this delicate political balance between these two, where like the Senate want to remain atop them and they will do things to try and like downplay anything that could wield that could seed control over to them. I think it's all yeah, I think it's all really, really interesting. And yeah, like, yeah, and, and and it's what I really want to find out. Like, is Transformers One based on this? Like, is Transformers <sighs> One this, or is it Megatron Origins? Like, which mm. version of the Optimus versus Megatron d- d- political divide is it? Is it taking a view on? Because yeah. if it's based on the stuff that Roberts has written, if it's based on like Chaos and the trilogy of yeah. flashback stuff that they do within More Than Meets the Eye, then immediately sign me the fuck up yeah i think it's so easy to say like oh yeah you can do a like optimus and megatron with friends and then it all went south thing but like when you when you read this and and what roberts has done and then you watch and you read stuff other people have attempted in that vein and they fuck it up and like it's it is a hard thing to do where you are kind of not taking us you're not really taking a stand you are not having one of them do a complete personality 180 and suddenly Megatron is evil after being the bestest boy in the whole world. And, like, you're not doing a full takedown on Optimus. There is still, like, this is a good person. And it's all a really delicate balance, and I think he deserves yeah, and, a lot of credit for that. And it's something, like, a moment I really enjoy is coming up is that, like, I think at this point, like, Optimus, or, like, so the, the next arc is essentially issue 34 ends with reveal of Brainstorm has, has ended up yeah. exactly back where Megatron was. Yeah, the, um, that mining facility has to be evacuated because Brainstorm has travelled back in time with his golden briefcase and that has, like, irradiated the mine and there's a full evacuation and they're like... I actually do quite like that point of, like, the order in which people are allowed to... You know, we <laughs> evacuations will prioritise the intellectual class, then management, then administrative, and then if space permits, 
the actual people mining the fucking mining facility. But yeah, as, as we remember, like, yeah, Brainstorm was revealed as a secret Decepticon. He knocked everyone out at the end of the previous run. And then, yeah, he has turned up here. And then that will move into what we are calling Elegant Chaos, issues 35 to 38, where they're kind of just hopping through time, chasing Brainstorm. Yes. Yeah, like, I mean, the first the first issue is, is not that, but yeah, the, mo- the bulk of this arc is the Rod Squad is, is hopping <laughs> through time. And in one of those moments, they run into Optimus, and Optimus at this point has had one conversation ever with, with Megatron, I think, like when he's brought into to custody and yeah. they exchange some like political some political thoughts and stuff like that and optimus mm-hmm. is like no carry on reading i've read your stuff it's really interesting and actually ends up recommending his work to another person in the scene and stuff like that but we'll we'll dive into that but like that's what's so interesting is that early on optimus is recommending people read the political treaties of this guy who's had one yeah. conversation with they met very briefly in chaos theory and like it stuck with him to the point that they through some timey-wimey sci-fi bullshit machinations, Megatron of the present and Optimus of the past are able to speak. And it is civil. And Megatron is, like, almost wistful and, like, gently laughing to himself and, like, treating him as a friend. And, like, who, do you, you, who knows like, you better than your, like, nemesis of four million years, you know? <laughs> I also really like how frustrated it very obviously Megatron yes, is. Like, yes. like, Optimus is saying this stuff and he's like, oh, you're still, you're still not grasping. Don't get it. Yeah, he believes in reform, and Megatron wants full teardown, and, like, this is the society we live in now, where there are a a lot of, I believe, well-meaning, left-leaning libs who are like, oh, no, no, we just gently nudge towards betterment, and it's like, there are people screaming for, that's not good enough, look what happens in Paris, let's fucking do something radical. (laughs) You, we literally been watching that this weekend with the the Supreme Court in America deciding like two or three cases on Friday just as like massive fuck yous, and I was still seeing famous celebrities going like, this is happening because you didn't vote hard enough. It's like, no, 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 this is happening because of years and years of concerted political machinations from one group of people to break how the system works and another group refusing to do the same and because they basically because one group is playing by the rules and the other group isn't you take the high road we'll take the low road kind of like idea and like because the other group will take the low road and then if the other group were to start taking the well if 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 leftists were to start taking the low road the right wing would start going like what the fuck are you doing this is like a travesty and right wingers depend on left wing people They, they depend on them being civil and polite and proper and then they take advantage of that and like I'm not saying we need to have a giant civil war, but, like, if someone's going to pop you in the mouth over and over, you've got to throw a punch back. Like, you can't just sit there and write a fucking feckless social media post where you say, man, they did it again. It's like, you're, you're going to write another one of these in six months, and we're going to do yeah, this something, forever. Something needs to happen, and what that something is is probably, at this point, if you don't, if you're not someone who's who's into violence, it probably is global coordinated striking to, yeah. to basically just kill the economy. We and... need Megatron of Tarn to rise up and <laughs> destroy the Republican Party. So, as you say, the first issue isn't really chasing Rainstorm through time. It's more like establishing 
the rules and that Brainstorm has jumped through time. And I love this issue. I yes. think this this is one that like constantly comes to mind because I mean uh-huh. again this is kind of taking some of my favorite characters in the entire thing where basically like the bulk of this issue is fundamentally rewind and Minimus Ambus slash Ultra Magnus mm-hmm. basically witnessing a functionist present. Yes, so they deceive you. <laughs> You're led to believe, ah, back we go to Shadow Play. Like, this is the era that Roberts likes. We're always going to flash back to it. This is where Chaos Theory is. This is where Shadow Play is. You gradually come to realise there are little clues, but they will then hard realise that, like, this isn't a flashback because of the sci-fi bullshit they've established where both timelines are valid at once until one takes precedent. This is the present if what Brainstorm is trying to do succeeds. And you have Minimus Ambus, you know, Ultra Magnus, returning to Cybertron, meeting with Rewind and like, oh, I'm surprised Dominus didn't come and meet me, which is why you think it's a flashback because we know Dominus is gone. You know, there's shitloads of propaganda everywhere, which I fucking love. Like, you are our eyes, you are your alt mode, today is the best day of your life, everything is fine. People just talking about entire, like, <laughs> groups of people being rounded up and being yep. recalled. It's like, mass recall is how they do it, and, like, yep. you get this moment where a Lunabot who are basically miners on the moon, or just, I like, guess. people who are... Their, their only job has basically been exiled, and so, yeah. therefore, they all have to die. Yep, like, they do mass recall. Calls, they detonate, they have obsolescence chips where they just press a button and you're just smoked, motherfucker. Like <laughs> I also like they don't really get into because obviously in this universe or in this in this timeline, mm-hmm. there hasn't been a four million year long war. So there's obviously yes. the population of Cybertron is a lot healthier. We don't really know at this point what the kind of like the spark or the, the constructed cult situation is like. No. Are they actually replenishing these people or are they just slowly whittling down the population until they get to a perceived well perfect society? So Minimus says, like, oh hey, there's a lot, lot more people like you, you being rewind, and, and like, you know, you see this, there are basic body types that like are peppered everywhere, and there are a bunch of rewind looking people. And he's like, oh yeah, there seems to be a lot more of you, and rewind counters, no, it's just there's less of everyone else. So I yeah. think they're just killing them down until there isn't a reason. I don't think they're doing it because of the resource crisis that like Shockwave tried to solve, how he tried to solve it. I think it's just like a happy accident of them getting more and more militant about like, right, well, these people have to go because of this, and these people have yeah, to you go. Get- because you get later that. on the issue. You get later on the issue. They basically say storage classes, or or because rewind obviously turns into uh, a data yeah. slug. They basically are just like these people record history, and we don't want that anymore. We exactly. want to be able. We want to be able to dictate to history. history for this. Exactly. So they they just come up with reasons why a certain classification of people need to go, and yeah, they just it expresses itself. In, in their present through, like, you know, it's just a very aggressive, like, customs control where, like, it's a Judge Dredd-looking motherfucker. It's like, you know, basically papers, please. And is a lot of, like, invasive, like, oh, I need to see inside your chest because I don't trust your alt mode. And, like, when Minimus left, he was alt mode exempt and now he's not. So they're, like, just changing the rules on the run. And then, yeah, the, this runaway guy runs past them and, and is murdered. There's talk of pretenders who pay to have fake cockpits put on them and microscopes and things that make them look like they turn into something more of a higher class to evade so being it's a murdered. Run. Yes, Rung has his little wheel. And we do see a female Cybertronian on the news saying, all hail the useless one, rioting, <laughs> and she looks a bit like Rung. It's really cool, and like you know, they they go to meet Dominus, who has been turned into a flathead. 
its more extreme version of Emperata, where they've taken his head off, and instead of giving him the world-style, like, single bulb eye, he has, a like, a flat-screen TV monitor, and it just plays ads occasionally. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking horrifying. Yeah. It's, like, one of those things where, like, the subtle body modification stuff that goes on in these books is, is really interesting, and this yeah. might be the most terrific thing that they've done so far. I, I do have a question about the function of this council, which I cannot remember if it, they actually dive into it, but all of them have the Emperata heads. They do, um, and I've always wondered about that too, where like it originates as a religious thing and then it becomes a punishment, but they're like, oh, but we're pure. Because it's slightly fancier than like what Whirl has. Like They look a yes. little bit more proper, but it, it is interesting that it feels like, if this is a punishment, why do you look that way? And maybe it's like a self-flagellation thing I, I i don't know but yeah you know. I mean, we we do we will spend more time because obviously all of all of these these functionists they have names of like <laughs> one of 12 two of 12 but they all have like code names of like the, the convener, convener the, auditor. the auditor the authenticator the moderator the enumerator the enactor the curator the disseminator the inquisitor the evaluator the mediator and the castigator which is just beautiful like pulling titles out of your ass that kind of mean <laughs> the same thing uh, but... i even i can't even remember whether or not they because they don't do that thing of like revealing that like because obviously we're, we're getting to a point where by the end of these volumes that we're covering two members of the djd are hinted at being people that we should maybe be interested in mm-hmm as in, like, what the book, what the book's doing. Like, there's two members of the DJD who are characters that we've met or heard spoken of before, essentially. But they're not doing that with with these guys. It's not like no, any one never, of them like, is like no, there's none of that. They just are. They just they look so alien to the Transformer. Like they look like a different species almost. Like, do they turn into anything? I don't. I, I think they actually do, but like. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look as though they would. They just look like big robot guys. And they hang out on their weird floating ship and they, they make assessments about who to kill next. And yeah. They kill Rewind. They kill Rewind. <laughs> He's deactivated his chip and they live in an apartment that's like screened from the de- from the from the council, but then they basically give Minimus an eye transplant. <laughs> I guess when on he the was way home. Uh, when they yeah they yeah. say like when he went to sleep on the plane because obviously they travel at high flight speed or whatever it is like, I, I don't know why they needed to fall asleep on the on the travel but they did I guess, and, yeah I don't know but they yeah, gave they them basically... all eye transplants and it's like they turned this shuttle into like walking security cameras and yeah Minimus goes into their home and that lets them in and that lets them activate the second chip that he has and they're like oh yeah and we'll also do this to everybody we'll place everybody's eyes with these eyes and that really puts a new spin on the propaganda sign you are our eyes yes um it's fucked up and before they before they kill him they actually seize control of dominus and they're typing in real time because before it's like he talks but then like ads will play on his face and then it becomes like they are talking through him and it's yeah it's, it's really good sci-fi horror like black this, mirror-esque this, bullshit like yeah this arc and this timeline is like one of the key things that i reflect on yeah. from yeah. it's really interesting that the stuff that i think has stuck in my mind the most from the entirety of roberts's run are these three flashback arcs that are all yeah. doing different things with time and obviously like the, the last piece is is necro world necro world's the last piece that kind of like also really sticks out in my mind from mm-hmm. from the entire run but like yeah shadow play elegant chaos and what is the the second one that they did uh the we'll see more of the functionalist timeline Later. We will no, but I mean the the, the kind of the flashback stories. Oh, is chaos the third? I think actually, yeah, chaos is the third one that, that's like takes place in the past. Like those three things are like really, really memorable. Yeah. 
little little slices and they are not the main team kind of like goofing yeah. around on the spaceship. I think just like just a big war where one side hates the other is kind of boring, but when you put all these power structures in play and like the cautionary tale of, and like how oppressive it was to live under them to try and justify what would make this group rise up and start this war and like overthrow society and like i think he does a really good job of like presenting multiple ways in which it's super fucked up between the senate and the council and imperata and shadow play and all of the political machinations and the silencing of people and and all of that shit and it's yeah it fucking rules but that is kind of setting the scene for like what will happen if brainstorm succeeds they have their duplicate case from the the duplicate ship so they are able to give chase only some of them the most crucial person who must remain in the present is megatron they believe that if brainstorm is a secret decepticon he wants to make the Decepticons win the war, so he must be trying to kill Optimus Prime. So their first, it's three issues and it's sort of three time periods almost, and our first one, they just kind of end up in a little team up with Optimus, basically immediately after Shadowplay, him and his group of uh, X-Men, the outliers, they're just on the run, basically, and uh, they're defending a hotspot. We had a hotspot back on Remain in Light. It's just a field full of sparks that are to be born and have bodies formed around them and everything. Either the Senate or the Council, they never really decide on who's actually behind it. Somebody's trying to get to these, and uh, so they have a big team-up. And it's, you know, it's kind of fun. There's, there's nice little action sequences with them, like, using their powers to fuck people up, and, like, you get a really cute moment where, like, Whirl and Cyclonus, having buried their, like, grudge, have become this, like, aerial strike duo, which is really cool, and, like, Optimus does a fastball special, and Tailgate says it's the coolest thing he's ever seen. Uh, the meat is that conversation using the uh, the time phone between Megatron and Optimus. The other thing that happens here is kind of annoying. <laughs> There's a big mystery around who is Tarn, and without comment, there are many clues that it's Roller, who was, you know, we, we discussed, like, who Optimus's trailer is named for. These issues are kind of, like, about his disappearance, essentially. Yes. Like, yeah. the book really doesn't make a big deal of this, because obviously, but at some point we know that Roller dies or disappears before the war, because no one mentions him during the war, and so therefore yeah. something has to have happened to him. And this is that story, essentially. Yeah. But, like, it's quite funny, because no one on the team who's gone back in time realizes that this is that moment because yeah. <laughs> no one really realizes that well, this they guy's actually it. quite important. They, they cause yeah. it. Chrome Dome, I guess he came up with this because it had to he had to accidentally be able to shake hands with someone. But yeah, like instead of injecting, he's got like a little thing in his hand. So if he shakes hands with you, it just wipes the last day from your mind. So like they can safely time travel, meet people before they've been born, you know, all that stuff, and it won't affect anything. So like they team up, it's all successful, and then they will shake Optimus's hand and everyone else, no witnesses. It's like MIB flashy thinging people. And they will do it while Roller is missing. So they all don't know that Roller is missing or where he went. So Roller just sort of disappears from history. And Roller is of the rough body size of Tarn. He has treads on his shoulders like Tarn. He has a 0.1% like Tarn. He's jealous of other people being better than him and is yep. juicing himself with experimental Energon to just... become more powerful. Yep. Like, all of this stuff is like, he's laying on yeah. so thick. And we'll just say it now, he's not Tarn. He's not Tarn. Like, he's not Tarn. I think and... basically people were throwing out candidates of who Tarn is, and Robert Slat saw that Roller was one of them. He's like, okay. 
I'll show you. I, I do like the conclusion to like the roller story because it is not a loose end that Robert's no. leaves kind of like untied. But I do think he lays on so thick here. And whilst there are cute little nods as to the identity of who Tan is in this issue, if you're paying attention to specific panels but the thing is when tarn is eventually revealed you said that like you didn't even twig who it was i didn't even i was like oh right and and part (laughs) of that might be because like well i was having enough trouble keeping up with who the people i'm supposed to know who they are are (laughs) so like but like i guess it's like that thing was like if it's gonna be a reveal it has to be someone who who's done some stuff and roller has done some stuff yeah and it's gonna be someone who isn't parading around in the present but is important enough where it would mean something to reveal who they are and i think terminus was another candidate megatron's like mining partner but like he seemed in a bad way when we left him Um, and it's why i think the dominus amber storyline is probably more effective because mm -hmm. that is a mystery that they're investing that like time and weight into and that eventual reveal happens it's kind of simultaneously horrifying and also like slots into like several different pieces of like where the story is has been going at that point whereas the real of tarn is like mm. and and we'll get into it in the tarn issue where i think they start to like soften tarn's character in ways that are kind of uninteresting it's a weird thing where like at this point roller is a more narratively satisfying reveal <laughs> of who it is just because of all the setup he's done Maybe. because none of that stuff has been done with the other character who doesn't appear again until they're revealed as tarn i don't think i think this is um... But that's around when... Anyway, that's like literally two <laughs> weeks from now. So, you know, they have that little adventure with Optimus. They wipe people's brains. And they're sort of... I, I remember getting really confused when I read this because Trailbreaker picks up Roller's juice box <laughs> at the end because basically Rodimus has... T- because Trailbreaker died, Rodimus is like, I want to check... Like, you can't Breaks change the, the first path. rule of time travel. It's like, oh, hey, in four million years, watch out for this because you're going to die. And he's like, okay. And then... He tells Chrome Dome, don't shake his hand. But then, like, Trailbreaker's like, oh, yeah, nice seeing you. And, like, and, like shakes his hand. And he's like, no! And they drag him through. And Yeah, know. so I thought the reveal was, because it's Trailbreaker who picks up Roller's juice box, or mm. Energon box, or however you want to call it. And I was like, oh, the reveal is that it still worked because he was holding the juice box in his hand the entire time. And so, therefore, like, Chrome Dome didn't do it. But no, he, he, he's picked it up independently, and uh, he's still mega dead but like that that was my confusion where i was like oh it, it still worked he was holding the juice box in his hand and chrome Dome's like crushed the juice box during the during the um handshake um. <laughs> <laughs> so they next go back to around the time that megatron was arrested in a bar fight that was chaos theory the the, the two part of before any of this started <laughs> they're staking out the city of Rodion trying to find where Brainstorm could be. The artwork's kind of fun because it's like not a setting that they're normally in. Like it's a thriving golden Cybertron almost. Chrome Dome is wary of being in a place he's not supposed to be and Cyclonus's breath is taken away by seeing Cybertron so like hustle and bustle thriving because uh, he's from a I time of like a much they... smaller population. <laughs> I do like that they didn't think about this whatsoever. I mean obviously when they go back in time they weren't thinking they were going to have to make multiple jumps but like Surely they were thinking that, like, oh, we're going back to this time, Chrome Dome is, like, active and, like, known. And, mm-hmm. like, when they meet Optimus, Optimus is like, ah, oh, Chrome Dome, how are you and Prowl doing? And he's like, uh, uh where am I right now in, in my point in history? <laughs> that isn't a thought that they have. Like, it's safe to send Cyclonus and, and Tailgate and, like, a lot of these characters around because, like, Rodimus hasn't been built at this point. And... Well, there's a strong implication that the sparks they were protecting in that previous issue, one of them is Rodimus because of 
where they transfer them to is where Rodimus is born, and it's like the mm. timeline would. So they kind of saved him. You do get a fun well, thing where, like, Whirl attacks the, the the thugs that destroyed his watchmaker business, and he learns that the Functionalists, not the Senate, ordered his Imperator and everything. His, like, violent attack on them, it creates this loop, this time loop, where, like, he gives the anonymous tip that allowed them to see Shockwave um, in shadow play. It's cute. But yeah, Rung has to take his own place um, in some, he ends up fulfilling his own role in some flashbacks wherein he is, he sits there and fiddles with his model of the lost light, which was at the right at the beginning of Shadowplay where they suggested, oh, that guy over there could be a spy. And And which is kind of hinted at in the first issue back after, after Dark Cybertron where Megatron is like, oh, you were there the day that like I was arrested. And and Rung doesn't remember because it hasn't happened for him yet. You either love or you hate time travel stuff. I kind of really like it but if if you find it annoying and like it must play by the rules then you know and it also solves the paradox of like how is rung playing with the lost light before the lost light exists and it's because it's present day rung you can also at one point here see the two bots carrying the corpse that ends up hanging at the start of shadow play you can see people moving it into position just cute stuff like that and then, like, the bar fight begins, and again, Megatron is having to be told, oh yeah, sometimes you got to use your fists, and Rodimus gets a real kick out of him hiding under a table while people are fighting. They jump back again to the day of Megatron's creation. I mean, there, there's some other stuff in there, but, like, you know, basically, yeah, they, they end up back at the day Megatron was created. Yeah, and this this, this is when they realise that then he's not actually going back for Optimus, he's going back for Megatron, or have they realised this? Uh, they, this we, we cut back and forth to, like, the present-day crew, where they they're starting to be like, I don't know if this adds up. Like, he seems like really far away from where Optimus would be. And then they eventually discover Brainstorm isn't trying to kill Optimus, he's trying to kill Megatron. Because all of these events heavily involve Megatron. And then Megatron goes fucking feral when he learns <laughs> that he's trying to kill him. He, like, attacks Ultra Magnus, he attacks Perceptor. Before Cor- this point, he hasn't really cared. Like, yes. He's kind of been, like, he's been, okay, we do need to stop this, but has been, like, yeah. uh, okay, if we if we lose, we lose. I don't know if there's a huge loss to this, but he's like, no, wait, this guy's fucking with my timeline. Exactly. Um, and they, they call him out on it. They're like, you were fine when it was Rodimus trying to save Optimus, and now suddenly you're like, we must do everything we can. Rung ends up calling Brainstorm's bluff. Like, the, the, like the previous issue ends or begins with, like, him pointing the gun at, a, at Megatron, who is, like, being brought online but is not yet alive. Rung calls his bluff and is like, you know, I don't think you want to kill him. He then is, he, like, reveals that, like, the security footage shows he'd been standing there for ten minutes. <laughs> before they arrived so like if he hadn't taken the shot immediately he's just not going to take it brainstorm confesses he's never ever killed anyone directly he has built a lot of weapons that have killed a lot of people he has never pulled a trigger and killed a person himself they should visit brainstorm's grave or brainstorm (laughs) brainstorm's tomb on necro planet yeah foreshadowing I'd, i'd be curious about the the admin side of that and we also get this cute thing where like brainstorm is was in love with quark who is one of the two people at the beginning of Shadow Play who were just having that conversation and they come across the corpse. And there's a moment where he's looking through the sniper rifle at them and we see that recreated and then you see Brainstorm's face and he's like, I just wanted one last look at him. And he, like he's drawn really cute and it's like, yeah, we have another gay robot here. And he turns so into a microscope, as does Perceptor, who he has this like huge rivalry with that you can very easily read as he's in love with Perceptor as well. And it's like, yeah, it's just a cute little thing like he goes from like he's a spy and he's gonna betray them all and kill optimus to like 
oh, he's a little sweetheart, like, in, like, three seconds. So how do we feel about, because obviously the whole impetus of this arc is brainstorm is doing this because he's revealed as a as a secret decepticon yes but he's not and then it, it feels like the, the the most ineffective decepticon that they've ever ever come across and all the rest of it where it's like is he a decepticon like he I, says I guess... he did it because he needed to build the time machine and the decepticons just had better tech so he went where the good stuff was and he was just very careful about what secrets he passed on. That, yeah, that thing is he's he very much is like softening his perception, but like I do believe that like TF Wiki continues to list him as a Decepticon from this point onward. And like if anyone is blurring the lines, it's Brainstorm, the guy who ostensibly has both logos on his <laughs> on his body at all times. <laughs> so they do talk Brainstorm out of it. However, rewind <laughs> Takes the shot instead. Kills Megatron. But Whirl intervenes and shoves the 0.1% spark that they have been carrying around since that hotspot in Remain in Light. The, the glowing green one that they shoved in Brainstorm. Well, Brainstorm in, Brainstorm's been carried yeah, he pocketed inside it. of him. Yeah, and Whirl saves Megatron and Megatron becomes the first ever hybrid. He was beginning to be constructed cold and then they put a natural spark in him, which explains a number of like anomalies and mysteries around Including... Megatron. Like, why a few issues ago he didn't have a, a batch number yeah. uh, is because Brainstorm has successfully, like, deleted him from history, <laughs> essentially. Uh, yeah. So basically no one would ask questions about why there was one robot missing from this facility. Yeah, like, This is, again, like, wielding the power of these minibots. For a series that, like, has Rodimus, Magnus, Megatron, these physically very large guys that cut these huge shadows of influence, some of the most influential characters are the little guys and rewind the like i wouldn't say he's a pacifist but he's just a silly little guy who is just filming all the time and he loves his boyfriend and he wants to find his old boyfriend he picks up a gun and he shoots megatron and like if they had not intervened he would have killed megatron before he got started and the reason he did this is the stuff we were seeing as like uh we thought it was a flashback and it turns out it's a new present his database was being overwritten as the two timelines were starting to like brainstorms one was bedding in and he's like life on cybertron fucking sucks everyone has a terrible life but we also won't kill hundreds of billions of people in the in the wider universe and like megatron hears all of this and it does seem to hit him very hard (laughs) yes that thing is like ultimately rewind is is correct should our lives be worse as cybertronians at the benefit of the entire rest of the universe now it feels like what happens is that Cybertron becomes like really isolationist, and we don't actually get a view of like what's going out in the rest of the universe. I don't think the council have, been... have any interest in leaving the planet, whereas like yeah. Nova, Megatron, all these people did want to take their cause universe wide. But yeah, there is this interesting thing where like we've had hints in previous books that like the, the Galactic Council and the Black Box Consortium like they spend <laughs> a lot of their time dealing with the bullshit from from the Cybertronians. And obviously there's other mm-hmm. stuff where like forget what the the other races' names were the the the, the combiner bots who they met who were like the Galactic Council. Oh, the Ananite, the Ananites, and the the Ananites. Yeah, like they they, <laughs> they formed to the Galactic Council formed in response to our war and all the rest of it. But like, it feels like that war is a whole lot less effective than what the Cybertronian yeah, yeah, war is. Yeah. But on the flip side of it, like Nautica said something last time that I didn't bring up when they were on the shuttle and they were sort of going over how they were all created and, and everything. And she pointed out a lot of the people in this room wouldn't be alive if not for you, Megatron, because a lot of them were built for the war. And they've gone on to lead these big lives. And then you're also hearing, like, as many horrible things as you did, life on this planet is better if you succeed. (laughs) 
<laughs> like it's yeah. a lot which, for him which... to weigh up on his like genuinely on his conscience like he is really having to come to terms with the totality of everything he's done because he's seeing it he's seeing the you know he's hearing about the extreme of if he failed he is talking to the younger version of optimus like you know all these things are happening and it's making him really reflect on all of it which leads us to well one one thing like the fun thing of obviously this is facility 113 which is named for roberts's first issue of transformers uk that number is everywhere but this i feel like is probably the biggest the biggest single one that he gets to put in is that megatron was being built in in this facility but then it also leads us on to all this, this goes on white <laughs> has killed megatron well has brought him back to life and we finally 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 find out who sent the distress call at the very end of issue one yes. and it's basically tailgate going this is bullshit what if we stop all of this from happening yeah and everyone gets to list their least favorite thing or one of the <laughs> things that's happened since they they left the ship so like tailgate says don't open the coffin rodimus is like don't let them take skids wrong is don't go to Adelphi. I mean, some of them don't actually make that much sense in mm. regards to their characters, but like... And like I said last episode that the skids being taken thing hadn't happened yet. It had. It was just so inconsequential that I didn't even think about it. He briefly gets grabbed by Tyrest's like, goons and ends up down with them when he was originally on the ship. I guess long term that will have an effect, but they have no way of knowing that at this point. So yeah. that one feels a stretch. But yeah, and like so you and don't look in the basements of the Chrome Domes, don't look in the basements probably the only one that's actually that's pretty like... valid. Yeah. <laughs> um and then Riptide's one gets cut off where he's he like full on says that Brainstorm's a Decepticon. <laughs> and obviously the static at the start of the message cut off the fact that like it was a message from the past that Yes, we assumed it was a message from the future. And and then Cyclonus is like, hey, you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) Basically, all of that stuff ended up having a net positive effect because the DJD slaughtered the ship that went where it was supposed to have. They stopped Tyrest from killing every constructed cold person, so that wouldn't have happened. It all ends up good, I guess, except for Overlord, but like, you know... How is they that get ever They do get well? rewind back ultimately, and Overlord is now dead. Overlord has been killed twice in this universe, which is probably a net positive all in yeah. all. I'm sure he won't come back for the final uh, arc. <laughs> anyway, um, they then also have to. This feels like I'm not saying I could have done without it, but it feels like such a like you've created a scenario where you get to do something very silly. They're stranded in the past. They've run out of juice. So they go to the facility that is building the Lost Light, and under Perceptor's instructions, they upgrade the engines of the past Lost Light to the ones of the modern one, use that to charge the case so they can jump back, and then they're supposed to undo their modifications, but they don't. So they invented the crazy tech that nobody understands (laughs) that they've been using to jump around the universe. They also create the first, maybe only, Spark Eater, well, there's two Spark Eaters, like, basically the implication is, well, in my favourite panel in this issue, and the, before they go away, ask Rodimus if he can take some of Brainstorm's weapons, and is just like, let's leave it a surprise what he takes. Yeah, he's he like, he's random like, shh, shh. <laughs> he like, puts his little pincer on his mouth, he's like, shh, say no more. <laughs> It's great. They find out that he's grabbed a Sparky to gun, which two people have been shot by in this issue. One person was the the member of the the person coming from the Functionist Council to kill Whirl, and the other one is this guy who's got a, a set of like turbo foxes on his security detail. Mm-hmm. And we find out that this is the 
Spark Eater that was locked inside the, the Lost, Lost Light. Light. Yeah. They also send the Lost Light forward in time. So they basically, do. I like, don't quite understand why that bit is necessary, but yeah, the, the Lost Light jumps forward in time. Basically, ends up in the hands of the people they bought it from yeah. a few issues ago, and they know they've got the Spark Eater, but they've only had it for a few days, and so yeah. like that Spark Eater has just eaten the Turbo Foxes, and that is the entire yeah. length of this lifestyle. The it's... cuter thing is that like the guy who well shot Roberts has hinted at in interviews is like the origin of the mythos of a Spark Eater that well, inevitably ends with Brainstorm yeah. building it's... a Spark Eater gun after this... seeing a Spark Eater. Yeah, it's this cute thing where like the implication is Brainstorm created the gun in response to the rumour of the monster but then like his gun actually created the monster yeah it's yeah and also i like the neat detail that like throughout all of this none of it was possible until right at the end because it seemed like they were running out of time and perceptor like was like i could disable the paradox locks and then do something him doing that is what allowed them to like have this entire adventure i believe is what (laughs) yes yeah the implication (laughs) is if perceptor wasn't inevitably going to do that then none of this would have been necessary because brainstorm would have not shot Megatron. Yeah. And then in the epilogue, uh, in the Functionalist universe, we do indeed confirm Rung is the useless one. The council have him, like, strung up like Overlord, like in restraints. And he's like, yeah, fucking do it, motherfucker, kill me. And they're like, good news, Rung, we found out what you turn into. And then, yeah, we leave that as a, as a giant dangling thread. Um, For a good long while. Yes. Good fun little arc, I think. And then we head into... Uh, everyone's favourite new Decepticon who's introduced. Uh, we, we need to spend about... Right, so we, we've been going for an hour and 13 minutes at this point. Uh, we are going to spend the next hour and 13 minutes talking exclusively about Nickel. I fucking uh, hate Nickel and I assure, I assume you love Nickel. Nickel is like nothing. I have no feelings one way or another okay. for Nickel. Okay. But Nickel showing up in this issue as like... It's really jarring. <laughs> that is the thing is like and like this is obviously where people start to turn roberts where it's like mm-hmm. you've introduced this team of like badass decepticons who are like murder happy and like they've appeared in three or four issues up to this point but they've been a constant threat yeah and it feels like a like right i in my head i know they're always there but i guess i haven't actually done a lot with them yet we need to reboot them softly almost so you get like Tarn's internal monologue and a reminder of it's kind of a redo of them torturing Black Shadow to death where like Tarn tortures some guy for starting a religion and there's like no religion but Megatron and all this and basically this guy has defected from the Decepticons created a religion and Tarn is like all religion is bad therefore we have to kill you because of this and this guy's just like I'm the only person that that does this religion (laughs) it's a religion of one (laughs) it doesn't matter like just the idea that you've done this is enough for you to like feed yeah. dissent within the Decepticon ranks. Even if you live down on this planet for the rest of your days doing nothing else but this. You broke the rules, man. And they are they are sticklers for the rules. And um, that's all good. And then, the, like, I don't know, I, I don't like having internality to Tarn. I think it robs mm-hmm. him of so much mystique. Yeah. This is probably the weakest issue of the entire run of More Than Meets the Eye. If probably. we don't include if we don't include Dark Cybertron, which obviously has a co-writer, and we don't include the kind of, the, the two issues that the very end of more than meets the eye which are not, not anything to do yeah. with the plot yeah 
it does kind of undercut him quite a lot. Like, I'm better than that when he, like, mocks his victim and he's like, nobody knows that I wear a mask so I don't have to look at the violence or whatever, you know, like, it's it's all, I don't know. And then, like, they, they pivot into this thing where, like, he's decided to... He goes from this, these, this like, rampant badass into, like, a guy who was cosplaying as a rampant badass and, like, almost a comedic edgelord where, like, he's like, right, performance reviews, everyone. I want you to bring you up in your development plan. We're going to talk health and safety. We're going to, you know, it's, like, deliberately trying to make him feel a lot lamer. And, like, I do get it, given the ultimate reveal of what he is or who he is and, like, his... You know, spoilers, he's going to have a face-to-face with Megatron. I like it from that perspective, but, like, reading this and having Nickel introduced as their, like, den mother who fucking scolds them for not cleaning, like, death juice off their (laughs) weapons and stuff, and just being, like, one foot high and, like, they're all terrified of her, and, like, yeah, I, I kind of fucking hate her. Not because she's small and a woman, just, like, I just think it's a weird thing to tack onto the the DJD at this point. It it's too much business being tacked onto characters who we really haven't seen in prop of like twenty issues at this point. Twenty five issues, I guess, since it's like really yeah. early on that they've they've shown up and like you start with a little bit, but it's like why are you trying to soften them? Like these are the guys who can be Yeah, they they can just be they, five just, be just guys. Yeah, exactly. They can just be just this is what they do. They believe there could be nothing simpler. They believe in every single word of what Megatron said and they will not compromise for any reason. Except Han totally fucking compromises in this issue and it's like every power structure they've set up does some form of hypocrisy where like the Functionalist Council will be like, yeah, okay, you can be exempt from our our rules if you do something useful and the Senate like do all kinds of nefarious shit to like get their way and cut deals and then even Tarn who is supposed to be the very embodiment of never compromise fucking compromises because he yeah. goes to Deathsaurus who has an army of 500 ex-Decepticons and... I feel like Deathsaurus needs a, an A in the middle like I feel like Deathsaurus <laughs> no it's just Deathsaurus baby he basically comes from Japanese Transformers cartoons uh... he's like the antithesis of Star Saber isn't he like yes. it's like Star Saber versus Deathsaurus yeah which just sounds like a Japanese cartoon <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Should we watch that cartoon? Yeah. Should we watch the Victory? Yeah, I mean, I gather you've met some people from Victory because you're reading the Drift miniseries. <laughs> yeah, I met. Uh, no way. Giga- Gigatron? Gigatron's not. Gigatron's not from that. Gigatron's the Megatron from the Robots in Disguise 2001 series. I no, believe. stop saying words like that. I believe there are some people from Victory in that book, though. There probably are, but I think. But the big one is Gigatron, who is. <laughs> no, like... stop saying Gigatron. You can't. You can't. <laughs> Gigatron, Devil Gigatron. <laughs> who is known in English language continuity as Megatron and later Galvatron, the, the stronger leader from the oh. 2001 Rebels in Disguise franchise, who is leader of the Predacons and is a six changer. No. So he's the lead. He's the leader of. He's not Maximal. in this book. We don't need to talk about him. We do need to talk about Gigatron because he's the most fucking Japanese thing I've ever seen. He looks like a fucking Digimon. Anyway, he's not here. Deathsaurus is. Deathsaurus, it reads like you're supposed to know who he is. This is the first time he's shown up in any of IDW. Yeah, I believe it is. Like, isn't it like, one second, let me... He didn't approve of Megatron's treatment of his underlings, so he peaced out, and that will... Tarn refusing to betray his people to to gain his army is like, okay, that's all I needed to hear. You can have yeah, my this... army. <laughs> In the ten years that this franchise has been going, Roberts is the first one who's kind of going like, "There's some leftover like big bads." 
from Japanese Transformers. Yeah, just for, mopping them all up. Because <laughs> that's the thing is, he get he gets Star Saber, he gets Deathsaurus, and obviously, as we just said, Gigatron is re- is revealed in a anti book to this. Don't worry, Gigatron. Don't worry, we get to talk about Gigatron more next issue, which is Ratchet's goodbye because he needs to go off and meet Gigatron. You son of a bitch. <laughs> the DJD now have an army on top of just being five guys. I wouldn't mind his making the compromise with Deathsaurus if he goes back on the ship and talks to fucking Nickel or Helix or, or whatever and goes like, by the way, we're going to fucking murder all these people once we once we achieve our goal. Like, yeah, that would work. Once, if he lied to him and he was like, yeah, yeah, you're all off the list. And then he just is like, no, you're, the, you're first on the list after Megatron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Megatron, I need people to help me take down Megatron because Megatron oh, is too powerful, but like... forgot to say this. We fucking... um, when they were like, when they told the DJD, oh yeah, the war's over, here, look at this copy of Towards Peace, they took it back to Tarn, who was all depressed, and then he read that Megatron had like, his, his idol had compromised, and that made him go, oh, it's fucking on, and then he went and got an army, so now he wants to kill Megatron. That's that's why all of Basically, that just happened. Basically the exact same thing that happened to Overlord. Yes. <laughs> as, in, like, as in, obviously, Overlord never realised that Megatron had turned into an Autobot, but like his reaction to hearing that Megatron was still alive mm-hmm. was basically his impetus to be like, oh, life is worth leading again, and yeah. a little bit of a missed opportunity for like Overlord and Tarn to actually have some like face-to-face time yeah. in these books. But I know that they're the big bads at like different portions, but like... I don't know, they feel like they really interestingly interact with each other with Megatron as the lead lead of this book. So yes, we move into issue 40, which is Ratchet departing the Lost Light to, to go and find Drift in his little mini-series, which Ben will cover for us next time. I've never read it, I'm not going to now. Before he goes... Next time. <laughs> no, no, we're, do- we're doing Drift, Empire of Stone, whatever it is, like, entirely this issue, this episode. Nope. Before Ratchet leaves, he makes a point of tying up some loose ends and sort of doing some Irish goodbyes uh, under the guise of some medical checkups. He's historically been bad at goodbyes, and we see three from his past where, like, you know, he didn't say goodbye to Farmer, and that made Farmer go to Delphi and become fucking insane and stuff like that. But he tells Rodimus off for his sort of uneven punishments of Drift and Brainstorm. Like, he let Drift take the rap for Overlord, banished him from the ship, whereas Brainstorm is called before this committee and you know, justifies everything he did, and all that happens is they dismantle his time machine. Ravage does steal a piece of it for Megatron, but, hmm. And he does say the very funny, I'm a worse double agent than Rung, and then he says, kidding, kidding, you know, Rung isn't a double agent. He tells Rung he needs to talk to somebody for once, he tells Skids that he needs to be a better friend to Rung, he tells Nautica, who's, like, really admires Brainstorm, and is feels very betrayed by his Decepticon adventures, uh, he's like, you know, if Brainstorm had succeeded, he would have died, so it was very selfless actually he was trying to do something good he makes magnus confess that he had been feeling very pathetic since everyone found out about his real self and since he got demoted and he he had found a cute little toy version of himself which he took as an act of mockery however you may recall that swerve had reprogrammed one of the big golden robots and made it his doorman and it just says 10 all the time. Turns out 10 has a little den somewhere, and he makes little models of them all, and his favourite is Magnus, and it's fucking adorable. The issue sort of ends with Magnus and 10 getting a drink together, and just, ugh, my heart. I don't know. It's alright. I'm sad he's leaving, but I know he's coming back. Spoilers. If this was the only single issue that they were doing 
I think it would be nice as a palate cleanser, but it's the fact that like it's followed up by a, a, a two-parter and then an actual significant um, single-issue storyline. I think kind of I don't I feel like there needs to be something meatier, kind of like either side of like the single-issue stories that are coming. And yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um, I'm now looking at Ten's mural that he's just he's drawn. Oh, no. Can you name all the characters on the mural? Okay, I'll give it a go. <laughs> Okay. Again, this is bad podcast audio, but shall I go sort of top left? I, I've got the list in front of me, so I'll just, oh, okay. yeah, top left. Top left is Drift. Uh, Ten- no. What? No, it's not. He's a Met Drift, really. Oh, okay. Um, Blue Streak? Yes. Uh, Everyone's favourite, Blue Streak, who we've talked so much about. Oh, sorry. Blue Streak is bottom left. Top left is Getaway. Far left is Mainframe. Trailbreaker is there. Mainframe is not on this. What? <laughs> That's not mainframe on the far left? Nope. <sighs> Tailgate's in the middle back on his shoulder. Ultra Magnus is to his right. Getaway is in the bottom right. I was wrong. Skids is next to him. Nautica is next to her. Rodimus is in the middle. Trail Cutter is to his left. I think that's then meant to be Ratchet to his left. Yes. Those two in the top left then, if that... Sorry, so that is Blue Streak. So the left that I thought was mainframe is not mainframe. And then I don't know who the person to his right is either. So uh, yeah, so I guess have, I can't uh, do it. Is one of them so Jackpot? Have, yes, one of them is Jackpot and the other one is Grotesque or Grotusque. Okay, great. There you go. We love Jackpot and Grotusque. What's your top five Grotusque moments? Uh, um, this mural. Um, <laughs> I assume there's a model of it. There's not. Um... <laughs> Reading ahead, reading ahead. Yeah, no, there isn't a model of him. I'm just going to read what the book says. Um, Why do you do this to me? At Swerve's, Grotus decided Ten would look better with pictures of flowers on his chest plate. Some high-grade energy may have been involved in this conversation. Uh, That's spoilers for an issue coming up, actually. He was hanging out at the bar at a later point. At a later point is so non-specific. Right, in amidst the the sobering goodbyes, we get some development of the fact that Getaway has been kind of schmoozing Tailgate and pushing Cyclonus out. He's saying stuff like, oh, he thinks you're embarrassing. I don't think you're embarrassing. He does. And Tailgate's got a little hoverboard because they watched Back to the Future and, like, he caused a scene on it and, you know, whatever, whatever. This will sort of marinate in the background. It kind of has already been happening. This is the biggest thing that Getaway has been doing and they are very much focusing on him doing it with just one character. Obviously, put a pin in it very, very soon. Yes, it's time Next for episode. a two-part issue that is a single episode of Star Trek. It's very British sci-fi. They are personality ticks. They feed on charisma. And basically, possibly to the detriment of the book, Roberts chooses to make the focus of this issue the least charismatic members of the cast. Well, that's how Um, you know that they haven't been got, because they're not charismatic enough. (laughs) But no, yeah. The thing is, a lot of them are, like, characters I really like, but I think it is because Mm. a lot of the ones he chooses are the new characters to kind of be the... Like, it's Nautica and Nightbeat really is who these two yeah. issues are kind of like focused on the most and because we haven't had enough time to kind of get to know either of them obviously these issues are doing the legwork of let's get to know these guys like yeah. properly but because we are also very rapidly heading into the book needs to wrap up in time for the the name change mm-hmm. 
it kind of feels like not not wasted space but like uh, energy maybe could have been spent setting up other things a little bit more effectively potentially could have made this one issue as well yes so they are docked with thunderclash's ship you may remember thunderclash is this legendary autobot who rodimus hates because he's perfect and brilliant at everything it seems like he is finally dying so rodimus declares a pre-wake which is just a party which he himself does not attend and neither does megatron so they, are docked. they need to go brainstorm or not brainstorm but yeah, like exactly. plan plan ahead <laughs> you can't say any words in transformers they all are someone's name um <laughs> so they're docked with this other ship and that leads nautica to meet some of her old friends and this introduces us to the concept of amica endura we've had conjuncts endura which is james roberts for married this is like best friends but with like a ceremony involved <laughs> And, like, on the planet she comes from, Caminus, you're kind of shunned if you don't have at least one Amica Endura by a certain age. And if you were to break it off with your Amica Endura, you are, like, a social pariah because it's a devastatingly offensive thing to do. This is important because she runs into her one, who she clearly does not get on with at all. They are complete opposites. I actually really do like the relationship between yeah. Nautica and what is Firestar. their name? Fire. Firestar. Nautica and Firestar actually have a good vibe where, like, it's actually really well written that Mm -hmm. kind of, like, your best friends at, like, 14 just because you went to the same school and, like, your parents did a carpool and then (laughs) you grow older and you're like, oh, we actually have absolutely nothing in common. Neither one of them is the asshole here. They are just different people and they've grown apart and, like, they're both trying to not address it. And then they both make a stab at being like, no, I'll break up with you, I'll take the hit. No, I'll break up. And then, like, they agree to stay best friends, even though, like, they're never going to see each other again. And there is this fun thing where, like, it seems like Firestar is this big socialite and, like, has done all these amazing things. And then it turns out she's been lying. And Nautica, while seemingly quite a boring bookworm, her brief time on The Lost Light has led her into so many adventures that, like, Firestar thinks she's the wild one now and stuff like that, which is kind of fun. Yeah. She explains some of this while dancing with Skids, who she has a good bond with. Like, she really likes Brainstorm, she really likes Skids. Yeah, the stuff the stuff with them, like, doing sciencey stuff where, like, Brainstorm's hanging upside down and then Nautica's just like, I've never thought about trying to read upside down before. And then, I forget who says it, it's like, have you tried just turning the book yes. the, the right way up? Well, she, no, she starts reading upside down she's like oh i didn't know i could do it and then skids is like have you tired just turning the book around and then she's like i'm hiding i am i am ashamed and i am hiding (laughs) just good little fun stuff it is nice because i I think this is this is when you get like good effective like introducing new members to the cast when you Mm -hmm. actually have these characters hanging together we haven't actually touched on brainstorm's court uh, i mean I, i briefly mentioned it in ratchet's goodbye like yeah like he's just like hey fuck you for trying to intimidate me and but it, it is nice that, like, basically they're, like, setting up the the tone of what the rest of this book or, like, the, the, the thing of this book is, like, it's going to be about second chances. Like, this is somewhere there where we accept everyone and everyone can be their best selves, essentially. Dawn, I like that there's a little group of wallflowers at this dance. Everyone is dancing except for, like, Nightbeat, Cyclonus, Nautica, and Rung. Like, they're all just sitting against the wall, tapping their feet kind of thing. Too too awkward to dance. I like that we have that group in amongst... You know, and, like, the whole thing will end in a giant dance party and, like, you know, rattling off all these, like, indie hits and stuff like that. And you'll get, like, Cyclonus won't dance with Tailgate, but then the power of love comes on. And as I just said, Tailgate's obsessed with Back to the Future and Cyclonus really likes that song. 
<laughs> and he turns around to come and dance the tailgate, but Getaway's beating him to it. So it's like another thing happening with that. All of that's the interesting stuff. The kind of boring bit is the murder mystery in the background where Nightbeat is... <sighs> they find these little ticks that like can make themselves invisible and they're drawn to charisma and whatever, whatever, whatever. They end up overdosing they've... when Megatron and Rodimus walk in together, basically. Yeah. They've done this joke now twice as well yes. with Nightbeat, where like Nightbeat is their like Sherlock Holmes, but twice now either he's being beaten to the punch or he's figured it out like marginally too late, too late for it to be useful. <laughs> so like Nightbeat figures out that like their charisma ticks and is like about to call Rodimus and Megatron and then they're like oh no these um uh, a couple from the other ship worked it out Mm. and they just weren't being showy about it is how Magnus puts it (laughs) I don't know if it's like supposed to be a dunk on Sherlock but I don't know (laughs) I could see a world where Roberts doesn't like Sherlock I don't know yeah, it, it, the thing is, it is quite nice in terms of... This is like effectively them trying to give more stuff for other crew members to do, which I think is very important yeah. for like what is coming up very soon, where like we need to put into focus that there is life going aboard the Lost Light other than the, kind of the main 15 characters yeah, that, yeah. We've, that we've been focusing on. The end result uh, is, yeah. is they get to bring Thunderclash aboard and Velocity comes aboard she is another female transformer you would think it would be firestar given she was nautica's former best friend but no they they have another female officer aboard she's a medical officer she'd been like trying to get to the bottom of the mystery as well i like her but like this is not a great primer for her to come aboard you're like she, oh okay. i like her vibe with nautica because obviously it sets yes. up their relationship quite nicely yeah. and also i feel like editorial mandates are kind of like tying Roberts' hands because Velocity is coming aboard because First Aid (laughs) has been summoned by Optimus to go back to Cybertron to help out with Combiner Wars. Yes. Um, (sighs) Bunch of bullshit, yeah. So we briefly have two medics again after Ratchet left because like Ambulon's been dead for fucking ages. So yeah, we've got two medics, we've got two women, and then First Aid leaves. So Velocity is suddenly thrust within two like two issues ratchet goes from chief medical officer to someone you've never met before um, i do like I do her she, like... she she bonds well with the yeah. crew but yeah i do like the stuff with ravage as well yes. like they basically talk about how uh brainstorm has invented a, a new wrench that will allow them to track where where ravage is and basically ravage reveals that like he's got perceptors that allow him to tell when people are looking at him and he <laughs> that is how he figured out that like all the personality ticks were aboard they're chasing it's... him and then they find these i mean i should say like you know for as not all that interesting as it is as a concept like they are kind of horrifyingly drawn where these these little only when he shines this light on you do you see that like getaway's got them on his face kind of thing and that is kind of creepy and like i do think it's weird though that like they're able to like i feel like thunderclash has been written in such a way that he should be more charismatic than megatron and rodimus combined well he was on his deathbed (laughs) that's true uh, but yeah, the, that is the thing. Like they, Rodimus and Megatron, the combined power of them brings them back in, and then we mm-hmm. get the indie dance party, which is fun. I feel like it's a very common thing where like a lot of the British writers at this point in time, John Allison, Kieran Gillen, are also big, big into their kind of like music and dropping the references to their music in. Yeah, I said at the beginning, like Roberts provided a soundtrack to every single issue. I forgot to link it. I'll put it into the. If you go to our Twitter at Maltmitty or into the realworld.com and find our show page. I'll put it in there. But yeah, there's there's music that goes with every issue. Yeah, maybe by the time this comes out we'll be on Blue Sky. Get excited (laughs) for that, guys. But yeah, like, I mean, this is the first time that they're kind of calling out and this is when Earth content has been 
a side thing quite a lot in the book up to this point. Like they've been doing screenings of like Zulu and Back to the Future, and yeah. um, Blue Streak has been putting those on, hasn't he? Where like Blue Streak's been like coordinating this, but like they've also got the references to or like coming up. Like Swerve has been watching all of human culture essentially. Yeah, Swerve and... is like, oh, they shouldn't have fired Dan Harmon from Community and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's the one who's like put, doing the music choices for this. Where, but like they do the joke of like, I've watched all of human culture in like three weeks yes and let me tell you not fucking possible there's a lot of episodes of a lot of these fucking shows that would take you a day to watch all of the stuff that he claims to have watched i think it is a joke about like how he basically like the entire amount of like time it would take you to consume earth culture is a very small amount of time everything um, worthwhile think... yeah because yeah. there's not there's nothing of it at the end of this dance party swerve is like smiling and we're like i guess my work here is done and then his hands disappear and then he disappears <laughs> Which and leads us into finally, maybe the most controversial off, issue. <laughs> finally paying off Swerve hitting the the meta bomb yes. like 20 issues ago. <laughs> so something that is kind of lost if you read all of this in trade paperbacks is Swerve does the welcome to the issue stuff on the inside covers. So those are taken out for most of yeah, the Yeah, they, they put one in to kind of like let you know what this is so yeah. that when you read this issue and one of them appears mid-issue, it's not jarring. But yeah. I do wish they had included yeah. a few more. one at the start of every arc or every issue yeah, just yeah. kind of like... Yeah, so he, are. he mean, talks directly to the audience and he knows he's in a comic book. It's it's very Deadpool, whatever, whatever. Um, and he, he recaps them and like they attribute that to the meta bomb that... The, brainstorm was in brainstorm i also lab. think i also think he doesn't start doing them in the book until the issue where he looks inside the time case which is like issue 22 right. or so yeah yeah so like when he looks inside the time case that's when he starts doing the the previously on synopses and yeah. yeah i think i think it is a disservice that they didn't include all of these as like even if they were just like one before every single arc but i do think they really build in and yeah. it, it, this is this issue is controversial because obviously it is a big love letter to to sitcoms essentially where like swerve it becomes three different people who are made up of father ted sheldon cooper and jerry seinfeld are like the three of them but they're all yeah. drawn Not as quite, like yeah. Hyper, <laughs> yeah like hyper literal versions of kind of like what a what a, what someone would think of a stand-up comedian or a doctor or a or a priest would look like like the set that they're on is identical to the friend set of like it's the monica's apartment, apartment and they... yeah and it's like it's there's incredible attention to detail in there like the arrangement of the shelves and and the posters and, and all of that stuff yeah it's uh... yeah and we carry on with like skids's hollow projector has become another version of the doctor now rather than the 11th like it's there's so many references in this issue and I don't think that's the weak point of this issue. I think the weak point of this issue is this is this issue is lampshading the fact that Swerve has kind of like not been a big part of the crew yep. for for kind of twenty issues now. He a says, lot of the crew yeah. haven't been a big part of the issues well, for twenty issues. That's true. That's true. He says that like sitcoms were his happy place and like the sh- the the ship used to feel like one. And it feels like since Megatron came aboard, it's a different book and he's not a main character or a different show and he's not the main character. And like, yeah, accurate. (laughs) Megatron coming in and a lot of new cast coming in has pushed some people to the side. I don't know. I like a lot of the new people is the problem. Like I, if I'm being straight up with you, I like Nautica and Megatron more than I give a shit about Swerve. I know Swerve has had some funny moments and stuff, but like, I do kind of think he is a bit of a little shit and like he is purely there for comedy most of the time and you could probably just take him out 
but they discover that him in his apartment, in his cell, his his room, sorry, in his room, he's like stopped looking after himself. He's dying of unknown causes. He has been projecting himself down to the bar using that technology. So everyone thinks they've seen him, but they haven't. They don't know what he's dying from. He has projected a giant planet Earth outside the ship, which is a sitcom world. And they all beam down to try and find him in there. And, like, that helps them diagnose him. How it all ends is kind of irrelevant to me. The, like, the meat of it to me is, like, we have ourselves some new avatars. Perhaps the most <laughs> interesting one being Cyclonus, I would say, looks like a well-to-do Victorian school mom. <laughs> like, yes. would that be accurate? Yeah, okay. If this came out later, you could argue that she's, like, Missy from Doctor Who. But I don't know if Missy from Doctor Who is actually, like, on the show at that point. So okay. I, don't, I don't think you can say that it's riffing on that. Uh, I'm just having a look. Michelle Gomez started playing The Master in 2014. So maybe it's sort of a reference to that. But, like, mm. uh, probably But just, not. you know, yeah. very interesting that, like, we have some gay robots. We have introduced gender via Nautica, Velocity, etc. We had Tailgate expressing himself as a baby. He's now a toddler but like we have Cyclonus here and Blue Streak both project themselves as female humans not counting Ultra Magnus who has been presenting themselves as someone that he knows yes, which he, I feel like is his one human friend like all of their others they are explicitly an expression of their subconscious he said no I want to look you know he he gave them instructions so that doesn't count but it is an interesting wrinkle that like you know this there is a romantic tension between or undercurrent between Cyclonus and Tailgate, and like Cyclonus, inter- you know, subconsciously thinks of himself as female, but then is like this huge fucking butch, like bastion of the old world, and like is a warrior, and like you know, like by robot standards, is hyper masculine, and then like yeah, internally is this. It's not like he's like a girly girl. Like it is very like stiff upper lip, proper. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing that I find, like, I like the group that is there. Like, mm. Tailgate, Skids, Cyclonus, Rung feels like a fun group to have. Obviously, like, Tailgate is spending his time reading them more than meets the iComic book. Uh, Trying to figure out issue. what's going on, yes. And he's like, oh, I need a wiki to catch up. And it's like, yeah, okay, that yeah. feels very... <laughs> like, th- those those jokes are fun. But then Blue Streak is down there as well. And obviously Blue Streak has been in the background being the, the paragon of Earth content. But it mm. does feel weird to have, like, here are the four regular characters and then here is like the ultimate red shirt and then nothing fucking happens with that yeah. like i feel like maybe that is what this book is missing that like it's not doing the star trek kind of like red shirty thing where like some of these characters are like giving them a personality but they're only really there for like one issue i think it's and just instead... that i think it's just that giant cast it's that assumption that readers know who some of these people are that's licensed books you know it's just when you get to it and like characters like obviously Chrome Dome and Rewind haven't really had that much to do since the jumping through time arc. And obviously in, in the grand scheme of things, that was only like five months ago. But when they show up in the community parody panel, it does feel a little bit like, why weren't they in kind of the main team? And obviously I understand that like, part of it is like putting a lampshade on, like everyone gives a shit about Swerve. Everyone has come down here and ended up in their own different version of the sitcoms. But like, I don't know, like either this needed to be two issues and we got, and you do even more sitcom references like why aren't we going to there are references to cheers but why aren't we going to the cheers bar why aren't we going to to like 30 rock why is this not being more dense in its references and it feels like it's kind of 
half a do- half a dozen of one, uh, six of the other, or like yeah, I, yeah, and I, I mean, obviously there's nice stuff like when it's Nautica, it's Rodimus, and it's who's the third one that comes down midway through the issue? Is it Nightbeat? Yes, Nightbeat is Idris Elba as Luther. Rodimus looks like a cross between like Judd Nelson, who voiced Hot Rod back in the movie, and like Josh Brolin in the Goonies, like hyper eighties guy. Nautica is there looking like. Would it be unfair to say a a hipster lesbian mechanic? (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think unfair. The joke that they make is that, like, she she waves at the camera, as the the TF Wiki says, is that she doesn't actually know how to be an actress, which was playing off of the conversations that she was having with Firestar last issue. The arts are the main thing, and she's a weirdo for liking science. Megatron gets one, and Death Metal Magneto? (laughs) Like... Kind of like a... Death Magneto, yeah, a little bit Magneto, a little bit like Mr. Burns in some ways. Like, I, I guess, don't... but he's huge though. He's like a big hulking, grey-haired man with well, a walking him, stick. Give him a walking and... stick, which I yeah, think but it's like really a, interesting. Yeah, but it's like a goth cane, and then when someone points it out, he like throws it away. And basically, they, they figure out that like the three people that they are like their neighbours or like live in the apartment building yes. are actually... Ted, like, Sheldon, all... and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> they are three aspects of Swerve's personality, and like this feels like a failing to me, because two of them make sense. The Doctor side, he is technically a metallurgist. This has come up before, so in Transformers terms he's like a skin doctor. The stand-up comedian, you know, he's a little prankster. The lapsed faith part is like, what? It's not been a part of Swerve's story really all that much. Also, just generally uncomfortable with any references to Father Ted um, (laughs) in like the last like 10 years or so. Uh, Just just not a thing I think we need to have more of in the world. We didn't know at the time. They merge back into Swerve. Cyclonus tells him he's he's like a massive dick, but like everyone's here looking for him, so he can't be that bad. That allows them to figure out his the thing killing him. He has a bullet in his shoulder from the supposed Agent One One Three. Oh, the other the other big reference to One One Three. Yeah, that that was the the, agent. The bigger one. He established an Agent One One Three back in his prose story Bullets. It's an undercover operative in the DJD. And his thing is he puts messages into bullets and shoots them into the right eye of your badge. Swerve used to have a badge on his right sh- on his shoulder. He's never been shown with it in the books. They've been referenced to it where, like, I think in Swerve's first appearance in Chaos, he has a bandage or, like, a, uh, a kind of a plate over his arm where his badge would be. Yep. And this was how long ago that Roberts was seeding this. That's like ridiculous. <laughs> is this in the notebooks for this point? Uh, I think something about putting data in bullets, but not, like, Swerve has... Yeah, not a specific swerve has a agent one one three bullet. Yeah, shoulder. so like this it's seeded in chaos. It's mentioned that there's this agent in bullets, which is included in the Last Hand of the Wreckers miniseries. They instructed Guido Guidi, I believe, in a flashback issue to hide Swerve's right arm mm-hmm. in the past, so as not to reveal he used to have his badge there. One of the earliest conversations that he has with Ultra Magnus is about how he's missing his Autobot logo because it got damaged. Like mm-hmm. this is it's possibly, <laughs> but I think, but I think that is what it is supposed to be. Is like this has been seeded in like the most subtle way for so long and it's kind of very emblematic of like how useful and kind of detrimental having this kind of like very rigid roadmap can Mm. be where like if you know that you're seeding something but no one else does Mm -hmm. 
what are you ultimately you feel doing you've got this enough for? evidence but like there may not be and like if you were doing this as like animation or a tv show or something someone would notice a picture of him in the background where he's got the badge on his shoulder and be like hang on but yeah because his badge isn't there and it's been patched over no one saw this bullet and now Velocity takes it out, and uh, that leads us into our next issue, which feels like it does not belong with these others. It feels like it belongs in what's to come next time. But we're going to meet the Necrobot, because this bullet contains... Most of it's corrupted, but it professes to say the location of the mythical Necrobot. The Transformers Grim Reaper, who we saw way back in issue 8, was proved to be a real thing and like had names on his list and they included the crew who are were all alive and that has since been explained by the duplicate ship so there's that but yeah they they go down to the necroplots planet necro world whatever you want to call it and we just learn some fun stuff <laughs> yeah basically this is a whole issue devoted to discussing what does death mean in this world and also how obviously like the whole thing has been about like who is cataloging the deaths of all of these people and and the necrobot has been brought up as like this mythical figure that kind of like comes to you when you die and takes you to the after spark or or mm-hmm. whatever your belief is and instead here we find that the necrobot is actually just tracking they found this planet long long ago that was able to track spark signatures and has a whole load of teleporters and is teleporting around the universe kind mm-hmm. of like visiting people as they die and basically turning off holographic statues yeah there's a statue for every living cybertronian and he switches your statue off when you die i would think turning it on when you die would make a lot more sense to like remember you but i guess he's he's snuffing them out one at a time and some are disappointed by this very scientific explanation for what felt like magic to them and like he even says i used to work in the census office and i wasn't thrilled with like the cataloging of my friend's death so i took up the task but yeah the more interesting thing is his flowers that go with each statue it takes 12 deaths to form a flower so it's whether you killed someone if you ordered someone killed if you participated in something that resulted in a death 12 of those get you a flower he plants flowers next to statues he tells them there is not a single person on this planet who doesn't have at least one flower next to them and he basically outright says you're all killers and you are all going to have to come to terms with what you have done. And I say it without judgment. I say it as just a, a neutral statement. You are all killers. And I think that, again, encapsulates the big themes of this book, the big ideas for the Transformers franchise and how, like, nobody's hands are clean in war. Like, you can be the good guys, but you still killed a lot of people. And it leads to this. They only play half of the explanation early on in the issue. And then at the end, they kind of say, like, Megatron ran off. And they play the entire reveal of, like, what the flowers mean. And mm. the final page of the issue is basically this this two-page spread of Megatron in a sea of flowers. A Flanders there is a statue of, of, of flowers. Big shout out to kind of like everyone involved in this. Um, Hayato Sakamoto is the artist who's kind of like coming for a couple of issues at this point. It, like, I don't think they're like a main artist. They kind of only draw kind of like five issues, I think, in the entire run. But they are someone who's definitely put their imprint on the series and this page is absolutely phenomenal. And then Joanna Lafuente is like the, the colorist who has been on the book for a good long while now, but is like really fucking good. And the, the blue is like really incredible it's a fucking fantastic page it will almost definitely be included in the the logo for this issue or this yeah, episode i had it all made and then i forgot that this issue is part of it and i was like well one of these panels has got to go 
(laughs) we also in this issue find out because this guy's got this catalog rewind and chrome dome i should say they haven't been sharing a room since alternate rewind came aboard you know they had the little hug but like chrome dome wants to immediately jump back into a relationship and rewind is like hey I was with Chrome Dome, you were with Rewind, we are not each other's Chrome Dome and Rewind, I need some time. And Chrome Dome's been pushing it, and it's like, he's been resistant. When they get to this planet, and it's like, shit, I could hack his system, and I could type in Dominus Ambus's name, and we could find out once and for all if he's alive or dead. They kind of, I feel this like gets them back together. Like They're like holding hands very close, face to face. Like, should I push it? I've pushed it kind of thing. It's very cute. I mean, I, I love this. I love the stuff early on where like they're teamed up together to when they're talking to like Megatron about you guys might be on this journey to like find the Knights of Cybertron. We're mm. here to find Dominus Ambus. And like, yep. it's nice seeing them as like this combined thing where like Chrome Dome has gone through the experience of losing Rewind mm-hmm. and now when getting him back he's like no we are solving the fucking mystery like yeah. like our love can overcome whether or not Thomas is alive because this matters the most the person who matters most to me in this universe and I've already experienced them being gone and I can't deal with that again essentially yeah. like it's really like again nicely nuanced like this is the real Mm. i know that like the tumblr fandom at the time was like fucking all over these two but it is like fucking just really effective in terms of building relationship Um, and just remembering this whole time that like it's not to say this is accurate chrome dome believes rewind loved dominus more than he loves chrome dome but he loves rewind so much he's willing to do this for him so like he is personally invested in a thing that could like if this guy's alive he could leave me for him kind of thing <laughs> like that's how devoted he is to rewind and it's it's super tragic as an undertone to this and i honestly yeah. don't remember if rewind ever sets him right on whether like oh no i love you more than dominus he's just been allowed to think that up to now and we don't know but they do take a cop out and it's like oh he's just mia so it's like great so (laughs) you know nothing i mean that's that's what that's what happens is that like nightbeat is the one who has the conversation with the necrobot where like basically the necrobot was didn't want to speak to anyone because he's already cataloged the deaths of all these people as we saw back in issue eight where like he doesn't know that there's a second lost light and, like, he's actually going to have to catalogue all these people again, so presumably, like, Rodimus and Ultra Magnus and all these people are going to have to be switched back on at some point. You think he probably would have figured it out? You think he, A, would have, like, been seen by Rewind when visiting the ship if he was mm. cataloguing them, and B... I don't, oh, I don't know. There's there's some questions there in terms of like he's walked around this ship that like when we last saw it, that battle had happened very recently and it was about to be blown up via its yeah. engines or whatever. But yeah, he he lets Nightbeat in because Nightbeat is a bit of a mystery because and right. So this is this is where I get to flex my like no <laughs> my like Transformers knowledge. <laughs> so Nightbeat, if you might remember, Nightbeat was found in the dead universe during Dark Cybertron. Mm-hmm. We all remember Dark Cybertron incredibly intimately, where basically he was kind of dead and alive at the same time, and they managed to break him out of that programming by basically giving him a question to solve. Nightbeat was shot in the head by Hardhead, who was stuck on a... <laughs> Every time Thanks. you say the name of someone we've not been talking about, I am furious with you. <laughs> He was shot in the head by Hardhead. They don't. They they say in this issue, spotlight Hardhead. You have to go read that. I know they happening. do, but you don't have to but read yeah. everything. They see, see this. Yeah. So Night Nightbeat was shot in the head by this guy, and basically 
similar to Farmer, was pulled into this universe just before dying. So basically, the Necrobot could not find the corpse. Mm -hmm. So he knew that something had gone wrong with his spark, and so therefore he needs to be on the list. But because there's no body, because there's no proof of like how he died, he's basically put him on a list of like mysteries. And so he wants to find out how Nightbeat survived being being shot and all the rest of it. And he now has this answer, which leads to them basically discussing why do you do what you do? Why are you just cataloging? Like, why aren't you solving mm. why aren't you the ha- mysteries? Why aren't you helping people as well? He yeah. says, and that's kind of like where we'll get to is that like there's all these mysteries in the universe, and Necrobot will be an avenue for the book to explore what happened to all these missing people in the mm. long run. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's it, really. Just be glad I didn't mention Giaxus and RC and all their bullshit oh, that was going on with Hardhead on. I managed to not say the words Giaxus while summarizing Dark Cybertron. <laughs> Whatever. Giaxus. Giaxus. A stupid fucking thing, if that's true. Anyway, that's your lot for this time. That is a good issue driven by art, I think, and by symbolism with those flowers. I think Sitcom World could have been fine, but like it coming in amongst a bunch of one-off issues makes it not feel very good. The personality yeah, tick it, thing it, is too overdrawn. You make personality ticks one issue and you make Sitcom World two issues, I think it might balance it out a little bit more. Maybe. That's just like one change that I can think of. And yeah. I mean, the issue is that we have is that like we're in this run of like kind of single issue stories. We're trying to get stuff out of the next... way to set the table for the end. But the thing is, our very next two issues are scavengers. We're still not out of like this run of feeling a little bit listless, where it is really basically everything from 39 onwards is kind of one to two issue stories, which is not inherently bad. But mm-hmm. when the only issue that feels like it's a, a propulsive moving the story forward is kind of like 44 it does feel a little bit yeah yeah like are the, are the rudders a stream and then and, and, and i mean we've said what we think this book ends well yeah and that we will be talking about the ending of of more than meets the eye next week before we move into season three in the lost light but yes. yeah it's it, it is it's interesting that the book i don't know how much of it is like the writing's on the wall the reboot's coming and so roberts is i have to assume trying... it's that because like suddenly the dj day deer back in it and suddenly the scavengers pop back up and oh here's the necrobot and let me jizz out these stories that i had floating in the back of my head that like there's no other time to do them kind of thing yeah and i mean obviously you don't have access to the season two notebooks at this point in time which i'm no. sure will illuminate kind of like how much was you have an idea of like what plot lines were like always envisioned but as we've implied like we've hit i do think them. that like yeah i do think that like megatron coming in kind of like changes what would be your like long-term plans like i read that like roberts had always envisioned doing a let's kill hitler style story and yes. having megatron in the book makes that a more nuanced interesting version of that story where like it's not yeah. just brainstorm going back in time to kill megatron it's brainstorm going back in time to kill megatron who is on board the ship with them right now which adds that extra yeah. level to everything but yeah i mean i i'm very intrigued by like roberts's writing style in terms of it's so obvious that he's a meticulous planner who is real good at improvising when yeah. he needs to and when things change but he's maybe not the most gifted at like realizing when to kill your darlings and i think that's kind of like what the the weakness is where it's like at a certain point it's like i'm sure there are things that get cut every single writer has to know when to cut their stuff but like you read this volume and you're like would we be more beneficial by having a meteor kind of like three-piece arc and less of these one to two issue things like just just something 
more in here like maybe it's a two-part djd and you cut one of the but yeah it, it this is all hypothetical and it, it's impossible to say but like i do think this is a book better served by longer arcs that are allowed to settle into their characters and because megatron has taken up so much headroom it has kind of like left the rest of the cast adrift and that swerve issue acknowledging it only goes so far because it's like swerve isn't the only character affected by like what is happening right now and we'll obviously get into the like the rest of the cast who have been built up over these last kind of like three volumes in volume nine and i do think that's a very it is an effective story that they've done but i do think it loses their weight when like we've discussed the panel off mic that uh, that has like a whole load of these side characters and like none of them have had the same impact that they have but like that is volume nine conversation yes there is one little thing we didn't bring up that does not need a multi-minute conversation but rodimus stars come back up wherein rodimus hands members of the crew a little golden sticker of his face kind of thing if they've done a good job and magnus got one for neatest handwriting and megatron got one for giving up his evil ways uh, i just think it's cute right that is it for this time two weeks from now we will be back with uh, the conclusion of more than meets the eye issues 45 to 55 that's volumes 9 and 10 i'm just gonna say we're probably not gonna do issues 56 and 57 they are completely detached from everything that's been going on and they do not feature anyone we know if you've really. been worried about uh, what's happened next to week Red we Earth will be delving boy. into transformers the last night the last outing for one michael bay I don't think I'll ever be ready for what they're going to do to Hot Rod in that, but I will see it for the first time and find out with my own two eyes. I have only seen Uh, clips of this movie. You haven't seen it either. This is our first. Both haven't seen it. That will be an experience based on what I know about that movie. (laughs) Till then, yes, you can find us on Twitter, at MaltMitty. You can tell us what fake Transformers fans we are. You can go to enterthereallworld.com and find more episodes and more of our podcasts until next time i have been matt you have been ben thank you ben thank you matt it's been a, it's been a journey roll out this is why this is why we fight when we die we will die with our arms unbound this is why why we fight so come to me